0: Welcome to the Undercut Podcast. We are back for a mini episode where we're just going to round up some of the post 2022 season news. I am one of your hosts, Timo Owens Daily, and I am joined, as always, by my now sober co host, Jesse Billington, and my sober, but we don't need to make as much of a big deal out of it, other co host, Ellie May. How are you both this evening?
1: feeling a lot better now than I did feel on Sunday morning. I'll give you that much. For context, we hosted a pub quiz over the weekend. It went very well. Everyone enjoyed themselves. I enjoyed myself. Best spoken of as a little too much, I think, is the, the most PG way of putting that. Kids, ask your parents. Parents, you probably know. Kids, you're listening
2: to
0: this? Ellie May, how are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. I have yeah. behaved myself, so I was tired, but fine
0: in the morning. Uh, That makes two of us anyway, but we shall move swiftly on from that because we're just going to get straight into the news, which the breaking but first bit of not really surprising news that we've got to cover that has probably been out for a little while, but we might as well talk about it. Daniel Ricciardo has definitely super-duper joined Red Bull for 2023 as their third driver. Initial, he says in quotation marks, reactions.
2: For some reason... I was like I'm incredibly excited by it because I'm like he's going home but it's like he is as a reserve driver and I need to think like I need to keep reminding myself that it's a third driver role but like I'm like nah he's back in Red Bull this is where I wanted him for like I wanted him back at Red Bull for so long because I think they were just his elite days um so i get I hope that we get to see him at least in a couple of like free practice sessions or something. I'd imagine that if they have got him back into Red Bull, it's gonna not it's not going to be in like maybe your usual sort of reserve role. Maybe he has like a bit more.
0: No, he was saying on Beyond the Grid that it's kind of more commercial side of it, and he can do as much or as little as he wants, kind of thing. He's very much tailored to to his schedule, and so he can go off and do some life things and make sure that if he wants to be in F one in twenty twenty four, he set for it. He was saying he was a bit burnt out by everything, so just wants to take a year and just go over everything, and apparently go on a mini motorbike across Route sixty six across America, which. Will take ages if he tries it on one of those small things, but uh, it's a classic Daniel Ricciardo thing to do. Um, but it just means that yeah, we probably he thinks he will go to Australia as the first race, and then after that, doesn't really know. But it's still being hammered out. But again, it's as much or as little as he wants. And if Red Bull civil war happens after Brazil, then maybe we see him back in a car more permanently sooner than anyone might think.
2: I think credits credit where it's due. If you are a Red Bull driver, okay, they may not get sometimes the best treatment being in the Red Bull team itself, but they seem to kind of look after them. I know sort of like, if you think, yes, they ousted both Gadsley and Albon, but they made sure that they very much almost remained in Formula One. And even though Danny Rick left them, they're kind of like, we would still like you back. It's not like they've completely ousted him. It's still kind of, It's the
0: understanding X.
2: Yeah, like, there's still some love there.
0: Very much so. Yeah,
1: it's an interesting one, I think, especially if things start to go a bit pear-shaped with um, Perez. Danny Rick might be in for an interesting 2024, that's to say the least, but I think definitely, given how he's spoken, not necessarily against McLaren, but about his personal circumstance after McLaren, He needs a break. He needs a rest. He needs some time off just to rebuild himself. He was, I think, the most interesting thing was he was struggling to even keep any weight on. Was losing things like muscle mass during his time at McLaren due to just the stress levels of trying to perform. And I think that's uh, that's a interesting thing for him to actually come out and mention that it involves a huge amount of sort of bravery and sort of commended. Yeah, it's important to sort of talk about those elements to it. So almost sort of going back to the flock, going back home is possibly also sort of a healthy thing for him to do beyond a interesting and clever move for his sort of sporting career. So I think it's a there's a multi-element sort of side to this and it'll be good to see quite how it pans out. But yeah, he's going into this largely as their marketing guy. I mean, Red Bull have God knows how many reserve and test drivers. I mean, they've got Liam Lawson is in their reserve role at the moment, and then earlier today they announced that Zane Maloney is joining the Red Bull Junior team, and he's joining that as and a as reserve an F1 driver reserve. as well. Yeah, hmm. which is impressive because that's jumping into an F1 reserve role from F3.
0: He's F3, then had Abu Dhabi and F2, and there's now F1 reserve, which shows that they are really going. Buzz Lightyear style on this in terms of Infinity and Beyond with him, in terms of just getting him straight in there as quickly as possible. And Again, if you're any one of the other 53,000 Red Bull juniors, you're going to be quite pissed at that, I imagine.
1: <laughs> I mean, will you say 53,000 in...
0: I'm, F- I'm rounding up.
1: It, there's six F2 drivers in the Red Bull Acad- Junior Academy, Hauger, Lawson, Deruvel, Iwasa, Fittipaldi, and then obviously now Maloney. Then you've got Edgar Crawford and Hadjar in F3, and then a further five in other Formulae.
0: Talking of things going pear-shaped, Mattia Benotto is out at Ferrari, which, uh, again, Ellie may pretend to be shocked at this news.
2: I don't think I can It's not a very
0: good pretend-to-be-shocked face. <laughs> <Try> no. <again.
2: laughs> it was a long time coming, wasn't it, really? With
0: well, Apparently, they were trying to get rid of him as early as last year as well, and they'd approached people interesting like Chris. Jean Horn in place him but had obviously made no progress there and hence why they were stuck with him for this year um, which speaks volumes to the confidence they had in him going into the year where they could actually fight for a championship and then obviously then get proven correct in their doubt in him but you just got to think if you're Luca de Montezemolo you're probably uh, having a little sip of something right now just thinking yeah bet you miss me now
2: yeah, I think that also highlights how nobody wants the role of Team Prince. It's Bullet a bit of Ferrari. a poison
0: chalice, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
0: Because you've not really it's... had anyone in since, and I hate to say the golden days, but it was the golden days with Ross Brown, and Michael Schumacher at that time. That since then, whoever's been in charge, you don't have to eclipse or equal what they were able to do, but you've got to at least do half of what they did, I think, and no one's been able to come anywhere near it. I mean, again for, just to reopen the old wound, Kimi Räikkönen is their last F1 champion.
1: Yeah, in 2007. So it's been a while. And I mean, this is something that either depending on which order you've listened to these bits in, you'll either heard me talk about in my review of Ferrari's performance in the 2022 season, or you are likely about to hear me talk about their performance through the season. But I'm going to... I do think it's worth making a case for... um, Maurizio Arriva Bene, he's not done too badly and in his role as Ferrari team principal. When he was in the role, he put up a good fight against Mercedes at a time when Mercedes were truly dominant and they had two world championship drivers in the car. And, I will admit,
0: I completely forgot about him for five minutes. Though,
1: yeah, I mean, I think I think the two gr- strong examples of Ferrari's team leaders of the previous years gone by, uh, Ariva Bene and Jean Todd, are the two sort of the ones that spring to mind. There was I can't remember who it was. He was in the gap between Arriva Bene and Todd, but he was a wasn't great. But I. Uh, get into it in either an episode you would listen to or an episode you're about to listen to because it's it's interesting but it's to a certain extent it's a poison chalice but you've got to go into it with the right mindset and the right approach to be able to conduct a team that is so intrinsically one nation and so intrinsically embodies the actions and management style of one nation you can't go in and try and fight that you have to go in with something that matches that sort of work pattern I feel it's but something
0: I want to say on top of that is that Gunter Steiner was saying recently about having that consistency in a team and because he's getting questioned question over driver changes and all this kind of thing. And I think it applies to team principles. as Well, you've seen him there at the start with Haas and again with Toto and Christian, you've seen them for donkey's years in their respective roles. And you just wonder, okay, yeah, Mathieu didn't work, but does that mean you give up on him or do you give him like how... The next person to come in has to do such a brilliant job of it straight out the box. So there's, so there's that extra added pressure on top of that, especially when you've got a car now that you know can perform. It's just about handling these big calls correctly. So then say fast forward 12 months and Ferrari don't win either title again. Does that person then get fired immediately? How long do you keep going for that? Or do you just try and make that consistency and give us here a bit more of a go there? Because it you keep every time you get rid of someone in a key role like that, you are essentially going back to zero because you have to re-establish how to best communicate, how to best work with that person across a load of different fields. And if they don't get on with that pretty quickly, then the results will obviously not come with that unless you've got all your other problems sorted, which as your Ferrari, you know, having the team principle that's not the best is not your only issue there. So I wonder okay. on that one.
1: I will say, as my final retort to that piece, look at Alpine's performance this year. They've had new sporting directors, team principals through this year and it's doable, they have pulled but... out a fantastic performance. And again, I think that is down to management and an appreciation of how that team works. And that's a team that's spread out between Enstone and just outside Paris in France. You've got a team that's working across borders. Enstone just outside Paris in France. Enstone and just outside <laughs> Paris in France, I should just clarify for the audio. Um, whereas Ferrari is based purely within Italy, it's based purely working with Italian engineers. It is all based within the realms of one very self-confined area. Renault Alpine is being done across a spectra of locations and across borders with essentially a multinational team, but they're able to pull together off a very small budget compared to what Ferrari run with. Don't mind the amount of scope, history and talent Ferrari should be able to pull in. Alpine have thoroughly shone them up this year, I think would be the argument I would use, and that's with a completely new set of leadership. I think there is definitely something that goes to say that yes, while having consistency with your leaders is great and that can bring good things. Look at the toddiers in Ferrari. Look at the brilliance that he brought into that team coming from... I want to say like Talbot rallying in the late 80s and then moving into Ferrari. He knew how to lead a team to championships, but he stuck around for long enough to bring that consistency. But at the same time, Renault proved that consistency isn't necessarily needed. You just need someone who knows how to handle the team. And I think it's a balancing act for Ferrari to find someone who can be long term consistent, but also understands the needs of the team beneath them. And yeah, this is something that I I don't want to go fully into it now because it will ruin either an episode you've just listened to or an episode you're about to listen to because I go into a full soliloquy on the thing.
2: I think consistency is key, yes, but Matteo had had his time and it was time for him to go. But I just want to say something you said or say something more on what you said earlier, Jesse, that do you think half the problem with being a team principal in Ferrari is that you can't go in and change things up. You have to work the way Ferrari works. So then it ends up failing before it's even started.
1: I think you can make those changes. The problem is you have to make those changes in a way that's appreciative, appreciable of the team you're working with and equally one that matches their work style and work ethic and work influence. You couldn't go into, say a sort of Wall Street banking group and say, oh, we're going to try this sort of really free-flowing sort of thought form work experience as you would have in some sort of new age indie startup company because that just doesn't match the work ethic of the industry you're moving into. In Ferrari, you have to view it as a purely different industry to Formula One. There is so much heritage ingrained into it that you you have to go at it in a very different approach. You can make those changes, but you have to ensure the changes you make are appropriate for the team you're making them to. The changes you'd come into and make at, say, Haas or Aston Martin or Alpine or Williams or probably even things like Mercedes or Red Bull, you could go into them, shake them up, make some radically different changes but those are teams that are far more fluid, they're far more dynamic. Because of Ferrari's pretty much stagnant nature and this hugely ingrained history, if you want to go and make those changes, God's sake, please someone, A, do it, but also do it in a way that suits the team. You can't sort of you say if you buy you don't buy a suit off a peg you go and just put on a blank suit you don't tailor that suit to the person you previously tailored it to you tailor it to the person you're fitting it to that's what someone needs to go and do with ferrari is put a new suit on them but crucially tailor it to that team
0: so you're saying that they can't just walk in and change it because they've got to work within the premise of ferrari but at the same time the two main times that i can think of where someone has done that and done it successfully and just kind of not taken an answer and said yeah okay you've done this but it's clearly not working Nicky Lauda and then Schumacher and Braun when they went and rebuilt it around them and they really need someone to come and do that so it shows that you can come in and do that but you can't do it half-heartedly yeah so you have, you you have need to, to You really just throw the bond doors off and say no no we're in charge now yeah you can <laughs> you throw want us to succeed you let us have a go but just shush. you and can throw the bond doors it.
1: off but you've got to put set of barn doors back on but will fit the hole you've created they can be better barn doors they can be far better at keeping out a draft and keeping animals in and locking and being secure at night but at the same time you've still got a hole in that barn that requires doors of a certain shape for it to be functional and yes you need someone like a, a Nicky Lauder a Michael Schumacher a Ross Braun to go in and say what you're doing is totally wrong we're doing this But you've got to go in an approach that worked. You couldn't go into a preschool and say, screw this, what you're doing is wrong. Here's an A-level maths textbook. That's how you learn maths. Because it won't work. The the principle is the same. You're still teaching maths. But you can't teach C4 to a five-year-old. You couldn't teach C4 to an 18-year-old me either, but that's a slightly different point. I'm
0: useless at maths. We will move on, on. I think, from Ferrari before Jesse tries to teach uh, primary school kids how to make C4 explosives. And go instead onto the sprint races, which are six of them for next year, and they have now been announced. And they are Baku, Austria, Spa, Qatar, Kota, and Brazil. And as Ellie May pointed out earlier, Kota, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is the circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, so you don't get confused which American Grand Prix they are at. Are we all looking forward to the F1 sprint? Uh-huh.
1: No, oh. if you've seen my Twitter earlier today You'll have clearly seen that I think my my general impression is largely ambivalence um, I think it all comes with the one factor of You need a slightly chaotic qualifying For a sprint to be interesting But then all of a sudden the start of your Grand Prix Is no longer interesting because the sprint did the interesting bit So you just end up with a really long phase of dull Until tyres start forming off And then you go into pit stop phases And the race becomes interesting
0: the it's only breezy, thing I can say yeah. for it in the save for for it is that Brazil both times has proven... Okay, it had an interesting qualifying this year, but last year did you had and
1: no, Last year you had Hamilton out of position storming through the grid, made up 15 overtakes in just... Yeah, like but that laps. wasn't
0: the only thing going on in the sprint. So no. there was other stuff in that one. So it was the most interesting of the three. It was still not... like It wouldn't have been as good without Lewis. It though. comes but with a key it footnote, was still I think is the thing. It was still a good thing. And I think Qatar... Is the only other one, and only because we had an interesting Grand Prix there last year is my only basis for this where it could be interesting. Um, and Baku, just because we know what opening laps of Grand Prix have been like there for most previous Grand Prix, and if there's more points available, which there are now, that could get quite messy. Um, maybe not intentionally so, but it is Baku, and the drivers don't often have a choice in how chaotic it gets.
2: Yeah, as I say, Baku, I'm um... I think Out of the world, Baku isn't one I'm most interested to watch, mainly because I think it's quite risky having one there. Uh, Austria... That's probably why they've done it. <laughs> yeah, Austria, I think, is interesting. Um, I mean, I quite liked the Austrian Sprint this year. I think it provided quite good entertainment. Spa, we said this earlier on, it's such a long track but you're not going to have many laps, what's the point? Qatar, meh. Kota, meh. Brazil has provided quite good entertainment. So,
1: I I don't know. Yeah, it's mixed. I mean, you said about Spa. If you have... I think I did the math. it's going to be about a 14-lap sprint to get to the 100 kilometres you need for an F1 sprint. If you have to have a safety car pulled out at any time, that's at least one out-lap under the safety car. The safety car then has to do a second lap before it comes in, so you're doing at least two laps behind a safety car. That's one-seventh of your Grand Prix gone, or about 15% off the top of my head if my numbers are correct. So it doesn't take much to either ruin a spa sprint or make it. You could make it by having a fantastic crash and all of a sudden your front runners are starting from the back of the field on the Sunday, but then also the rest of your sprint is curtailed because you've lost a seventh of it because you've had cars being recovered. And it's rare that if you're having a safety car pull out, especially at Spa, where you've got massive runoff areas, that you're having anything less than the minimum two, three laps under the safety car. So it's definitely going to be an interesting one to see how either dull or absolutely fantastic it is. It can go one of two ways and mm, hopes aren't high, I think, is the key element here.
2: Do you think they've put a sprint in Spa to make sure that they get some element of racing so that they don't end up with what happened in 2021?
1: Ooh, yeah. Yeah maybe i don't know that purely depends on your weather your meteorological factors whether or not you have an absolutely torrential qualifying and no one can go out but then surely if it's so wet you wouldn't have the sprint or if you did you'd have the sprint entirely behind the safety car or you'd do the sprint to a certain distance behind the safety car and the whole thing happens again i it i don't know it's it's just going to be interesting to see. I think also because but you've got to factor in that Belgium is being held slightly earlier on in the calendar. It's now the last race before the summer break. It might have slightly different weather conditions. You won't have had the heat the heat building up over the sort of essentially the bowl that Spa fit, runs around the rim of, which means that you might have a slightly better weather conditions. So in there for anything, you might see essentially more track running at Spa this year than you have over the past two years simply because of the calendar point it's put at as opposed to the sprint being factored in. It will be an interesting one to see how it pans out. Again, I'm, I'm not interested in the sprints, the actual racing themselves. It's Formula 1 racing. I'm interested to a certain extent. I'm interested to see how they pan out and how they impact the race, the Grand Prix that follows. I think that's where my interest lies is still trying to figure out just how good of a tool this is for producing impactful Formula 1 motorsports.
0: Something that is definitely interesting that we can all agree on and are very excited for Ellie May. Jamie Chadwick off to Indie NXT next year with Andretti. About bloody time she got a good opportunity like this, don't you think?
2: It is about time, and it's it has taken a long time. And someone's put, is this a failure on the part of W series or a success? I think it's just Jesse being
0: a Debbie No. <laughs>
2: it is a bit discussion. of both. It's W series has probably helped her get that seat, but it's helped to get a seat that wasn't really the intended seat to that we wanted, I guess.
0: Is is that W series fault though, or is that F3 and F2 for not taking a chance on what is an excellent driver when they've taken chances on drivers with a lot less pedigree and caliber before before then?
2: I don't think it's a, the fault. Because W series is there
0: to give you the platform and the opportunity for it, which they have done and have proven with her three titles and have kept her relevant. And it's on F2 and F3 for not having picked her up. I mean, nothing against Tatiana Calderon, but you'd think Chirouz would have maybe picked Jamie to test her out for a round at least instead of Tatiana because Tatiana at least had some time in F2 before. Whereas Jamie is like the most fashionable, trendy and with the results, yeah, cost money. But at the same time, you're not willing to sponsor a 3 champion? get the fuck out of here, you know? And I'm not going to be able to bleep myself out of that one,
1: so I'm sticking to that. It's really easy to edit in the bleeps. You just download the one. Oh, I'm not going to. It's fine. I'm not going to. Yeah. Again, I still want to sit on the fence about this. I think this is both a success and a failure on the part of W Series. A failure on the fact that when you, you cannot ignore the financial side of it as much as it would be brilliant to ignore it and just say that... Because if you could jamie chadwick could be an f2 already
0: but what more could w series do they're already giving her the money to keep going they've got prize money they fund funded the seat shortly then but, it's up to, that but that prize to money, see.
1: The, the actual resu- end result is so fractional compared to what you need to get even close to an f3 seat let alone an f2 seat the amount of you still you have, have the opportunity to derive. get a
0: championship and wins surely f3 then can be like okay you've got a bit of it and if we market this right it's. I mean, again, you see some of the American drivers come in that have no right being there, really, but they get there because they've got a sponsorship. You sponsor her correctly. I mean, it's a, if you can't get Jimmy Chadwick marketing to work for you, then you must be just stupid. Yeah, you drive.
1: must be. But the fact is that W Series as a platform then hasn't worked to the global enough audience to generate that interest in... I thought it was that F1
0: sense? for not putting more marketing with them when they said, oh, we'll have a lot on the weekend, but we won't officially do any ties with them because there's only so much they can do as an independent thing, whereas F1 could have approached them and said, let's bring you somewhat under the wing. W Series can't do, everything, literally doing everything themselves anyway. What more can they do?
1: But I don't know. There, it, there's so many different questions you start asking of both W Series, asking of the feeder series that higher up the rankings of, F1 as a whole of the holding group that has sort of F2 and F3 and then the individual holding group that owns W Series because it is so fractious. It's tricky to try and pin blame on any one element of this. And that's why I want to sit on the fence and not completely slam W Series because the work and the effort that it's done over the past three seasons has been fantastic and has developed and proven some absolutely brilliant drivers and brought some ones that otherwise might not have had the chance to the forefront. Cannot fault it for that. But at the same time, some of the buck dust have to stop with them because what have they achieved so far across these three seasons is get a couple of drivers linked to F1 teams, one of which, Jess Hawkins, is largely there for marketing purposes and it's got Jamie Chadwick after three attempts into an Indy Lights seat. But you look at F2 drivers that are coming out of F2 and just hopping straight into IndyCar. You look at your Calamai lots. Um, there's another one off the top of my head as well who I Christian can't think Lungard, of Christian yeah. Lungard. You look at them and they've just hopped straight out of F2 straight into IndyCar. And everyone goes on about the fact that you could probably put Jamie Chadwick in an F2 seat and she'll be competitive against that field. Why wasn't she able to jump straight into that IndyCar seat then? there's clearly been a failing somewhere in this system, but because there are so many chefs spoiling this one broth, you cannot pin the fault on any one of them, and it's brilliant from their point of view. I will just say then that you can put the minimalist
0: I will, I will say then, just before I let you go anyway, that you can put the minimalist amount of blame on W Series and it's on everyone else because they really should see that it's that there is plenty of talent and opportunity there and they're just being too silly to recognise it. Anyway,
2: do you think we're asking too much of W Series in the sense that... I think one of us might own... be.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably we. <me>. Because
2: <laughs> it it's only just had its third year. It's still very much in its infant stages. So whilst we are very eager to get it big and get it promoting women and getting them then into F2 and F3, I guess... They've kind of, it's a bit like Formula E back in their third season. They still kind of weren't, they were still trying to work things out. And I think it is still very early for W Series. And that's say, why they are not seeing the results.
0: A world season. championship for a few years until, until they got into it properly, Whether they? were just a championship. And then it was only the last few years that it became a world championship. So that's it's a, kind yeah. of a similar thing if they were growing, but it was still not quite as, as much as, people wanted it to
1: Mm. only the past two years of formula e have been fia mandated and uh, yeah because you've had um stopper van Dorn and nick de vries as fia world champions in their own right through formula e and it'd be interesting to look at the growth the revenue the ad interest between the likes of formula e and w series to see which has been truly more impactful on the drivers that it sort of has under its control but also the revenue streams it's able to pull in and that sort of all important ad interest and sponsorship interest it's been able to draw in to see which one has been essentially through their first three formative years to keep it fair and balanced, the more impactful. I think that would be a really interesting study and something that I wish I had the time to do, but really do not at this point in time. Perhaps over leave it there for a minute then.
0: And instead, we will, you and I, Jesse, whiz through some F3 and F2 driver news, because naturally, as soon as we record anything, there's a flurry of announcements, and then we're already up to date. So God knows what it's going to be like when this comes out. But F3-wise, we've got Mary Boyer joining MP Motorsport, so there'll be a new driver for next year. Zach O'Sullivan's going to Prima, Christian Mansell's going over to Campos, Oliver Goth and Leonardo Fornaroli, if I'm not butchering that completely, are going to Trident. Is there anyone there that is particularly exciting you the most? Um,
1: Sullivan, Mansell, and Goeth, they're into second seasons now in Formula 3. I think Fornaroli yep. and Boyer, as the rookies off this announcement list, at least, are going to be the interesting ones. Again, we keep speaking of how sort of ferocious the F3 field is going to be at the top end of it. We've got a lot of drivers that really look in to stamp their name on the season and move on to F2. Um it's Sucker yeah. Sullivan, the only one listening
0: to my advice in the F3 podcast and taking another year to really hone his craft while everyone else seems to just be throwing the spaghetti at the wall and hoping for the best.
1: Yeah, hope throwing the spaghetti at the wall of Formula Two and just sort of jumping at it and I've been on. I think yeah, Sullivan is gonna possibly look like a, a big hero coming out of a season at Prima. Again, not a terrible team, especially through Formula 3, and mm. he's going to look like a bit of a hero if he gets to the front of the field and is able to run away with things early on and stamp dominance on it, causing others to have to try and fight it, and that's where things can very fast unwind in the frenetic world of Formula 3. Too many fuzz there.
0: F2-wise, Vesti is going back to Prima. He was there in Formula 3 days but is now moving back for another season then with, with them. Arthur Leclerc is stepping up and going to dams. Novelax joining Trident. Kushmini is one of the ones that I'm saying is throwing the spaghetti at the wall. Because after it, not bad but unexpected, but not like brilliant season in F3, he's jumping up and going to Campos. Nisani, God bless him, is still around and he's going over to Sharuz with Brant Benavides also jumping up to F2, which was interesting. And then Dune and Cordiel are going to Virtuosi in Formula Two with the latter, you wonder if it wasn't for his races in Abu Dhabi. Would
1: he have gotten that seat? I think Cordell definitely got lucky with his Abu Dhabi performances. Makes... He got a
0: race ban earlier in the year.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's been a, a sort of almost a turnaround season in that regard. The fact that he's moving over to Virtuosi, a pretty competent team. Um, Nissani, oh, come on, just pack it in, you silly bastard. Um, yeah. Brad Benavide's. Watch any F2
0: race anyway. You'd agree with us immediately. <laughs>
1: Yeah, honestly. Or watch his dad racing in F1 back in the 90s. It, like father, like son, unfortunately. Um, Brad Benavides and Kushmine are two jumpers from F3 that I wouldn't have expected to have made the move.
0: Kushmine got on the podium once or twice and is... I'm thinking there is the fact that we had, don't have many drivers from India at the moment and they're really trying to make a name for themselves so there's probably some, some large money behind him. He's not a bad driver but again I wouldn't have thought he would go straight up to F2 after a an alright season but again nothing to write home about
1: yeah again similar with Benavides the name sticks out definitely heard it a lot in commentary and I don't know whether that's because he was often going backwards or because he was often doing good things and uh, it's
0: because it... I interviewed him Jesse that's why he's in your
1: head uh, that would be it, it was on uh, on the curbs wasn't he
0: yes on that one to get a bit of traffic there was Is it Versus well, so we get some traffic further there uh, there you
1: are but yeah I don't know it's f is going to be interesting we've got a lot of potentially underproved talent or underbaked talent moving up to it so there's going to be a lot of Let's say over enthusiastic driving and potentially under braking coming into some early turns through the opening races. Um, definitely going to be one to watch in that regard. Um, but at the same time, we've got a lot of drivers really sort of settling in for potentially a season or two at the le- Formula 2 level, while we've got a couple of drivers that are looking to really make the jump at the end of 2023. So it's. Yeah, a pack of three halves at the moment. It's going to be interesting to see where the balance lies on those three halves of drivers looking to really get their feet under the table and make a good name for themselves. Drivers that have made a good name for themselves looking to move on, Teo Porcher, looking at you, my boy. And um, yeah, drivers that are sort of throwing themselves at the table and hoping no one gets too angry at them.
0: Yes, yeah, so again proving the three halves is exactly why we shouldn't be teaching him A-level maths in primary school. We also mentioned Zayn below earlier, so we don't need to go over that again. But very interesting to see what will happen there. And he doesn't have an F
1: three some... or F two seat yet either, which is quite interesting. I just think he's going to yes, F two. I, I imagine he's
0: going to F two, but it's just a matter of where. It's is Barbados, isn't he? Uh, I heard that about the place. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, it's not um, it's else. not a well-known fact, but uh, people will start to learn that more and more these days. Mm.
1: You've got some
0: um, news out
1: of Aston Martin, though. I do. Um, This comes from the Autosport British Racing Driver Club Young Driver of the Year Awards, sponsored or in large part by Aston Martin. And uh, Luke Browning, who I think is a British Formula 3 driver or GB3 driver... Uh, won this year's Young Driver Award. He was up against uh, Ollie Behrman and Jamie Chadwick, of all people. And uh, Browning came out on top. He's had a fairly decent performance in GB3 this year, from what I can recall. And as a result, he's won £200,000. Uh, a test in Aston Martin F1 car and uh, full membership, paid-up membership to the BRDC, as well as an Arai helmet. Remind me again, what's the prize money for W Series?
0: It's at least half a million, if not more
1: so i think it's about half it's half a million so he's won damn near half the um, w Series prize pot just in one lump sum there, which is someone who's looking to probably make the move from GB three to Formula three sometime within the next season is quite a handy sum of money to have in your back pocket, especially if you aren't having to chill to out. Be for fair, a...
0: Aston Martin's a small brand though, so they can only afford two hundred thousand pounds per
1: person. Very small brand. If they can only afford two hundred thousand pounds for a competition, it's unlikely they'll be able to give us one hundred sixty thousand pounds in uh, sponsorship to travel the world and report on Formula One, but. We'll wait and see usually, if that You leave Ellie
0: May and I to worry about that. We'll uh, we use our collective wisdom to make that happen.
2: I have my ways.
0: And then finally, the sad news from the other day: Patrick Dempsey has died. That's okay. not a good way of saying that.
1: Yeah, it's it's sad times. Uh, two race wins to his name, I think I'm correct in saying yeah. drove for Ferrari. I want to say he also drove for Renault at one point in time. Again, I haven't got a full set of notes in front of me. I'm sort of delving into the history book of Formula One that is my great matter. But yeah, a sort of enigmatic driver and certainly one of that period through the sort of 80s into the 90s and a brilliant name. One of those ones that you always hear in Murray Walker's voice. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a sort of definitely one of those drivers of period with some sort of sideways heroics and furiously turbocharged Renaults. So yeah, a sad loss from the world of Formula One. And I know that a lot of sort of present or Formula One drivers that are still around sort of punditing up and down the field I was sort of quite touched by his art. Their loss, and it was yeah. It's strange seeing people that whose names you recognise from early childhood, watching old Grand Prix starting to pass away. It's always like losing bits of your childhood in regard. So it's definitely sad in that regard. On
0: that uh, on that chipper note, we will end this news episode of the Undercut Podcast. We should have and, probably
1: structured uh... that a bit better and put that somewhere else.
0: Well, we didn't, so we're just going to do that, I think, and just uh, tell everyone to watch out for our season review episode, which will be a lot more cheerful. Hopefully, towards the end, we'll find out. Hopefully, we'll try not to do anything bad on that one. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm that'd not be sure
2: for a second.
0: Ellie yeah. may there with the ray of sunshine of hope at the end as well, there to reassure us all. So we can start with her. Where can we find you in the meantime if we want to?
2: Oh God. I don't know hibernating. It's going to be minus five. So I mean, for some people that's probably warm. For me, that's freezing cold. So I'm finding just somewhere to hide and stay away from the cold for a very long time.
1: If you want to find Ellie Mae I'd suggest checking spring. That seems to be about the ideal point.
2: Yeah, I'll come Jesse, back just in time been, for uh... <laughs> one.
0: Jesse, where can people find you?
1: um as always you can find me writing for classic car weekly i've got plenty of print content coming out through there i've got an issue that's just come out today i say today the day we've recorded this 7th of december um an issue featuring all the racing you need to look forward to on the classic racing calendar for 2023 so silverstone goodwood alton park brands hatch all the interesting stuff with plenty of classic formula one action tucked in there as well so if you want to find out more about classic f1 racing that's where to go and look i would recommend i might
2: look at that actually.
1: I would recommend picking it up actually. It's got yeah. a lot of my pictures in it as well. So it's a really nice double spread with a lot of my photography in it. So I'm very proud of it and it looks fantastic. Um, you sold it to me. Thank you. Um, oh, for for once. Front, <laughs> for once. The front cover doesn't look too terrible this week either. Um and I'm Beyond, take beyond yeah. that, you can you can do that. I run all the social media accounts. No one's gonna be surprised by I that. I realised
0: that as I was saying <laughs> it. I'm gonna just send it to the editor instead.
1: Um and if you want to find me outside of classic car weekly you can find me on twitter and on instagram as jesse on cars nice and easy one to find i do have a youtube channel but i haven't posted anything on there since before the summer break and i really ought to do my season review or review my predictions for the formula one season so maybe that' worth hitting a follow on there and just seeing if i do post anything Timo, where can people find you
0: well, you can find me, of course, on, on, on The Curves, where I've got my weekly motorsport interviews. There's a good few of them now. We're getting close to episode 100 somehow, so that... And also writing for Is It Fast, Paddock Thority, and Paddock Passion, where I do have a new article out on Sky Sports F1. It is good, but it could be better, so go and read that for my honest take on those bunch of people over there. It's not all depression and anger. There are some good qualities I have found in them. So it's worth a read but in the meantime that'll be it from all of us and as we said look out for our F1 2022 season review episode that'll be out in the not too distant future and in the meantime thank you very much for listening goodbye